Hello and welcome to another episode of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host this evening, Alex, and with me I have Dan. Hey, how are you? Good. It's been a uh, long break between episodes with the international break, but we're back, ready to go. Um, pretty important game coming up this weekend for City, but we'll cast our minds back first of all to our last game out, uh, which was against Sheffield United. It was the last of uh, a three-game run of pretty difficult fixtures against top-of-the-table teams. Uh, or as Adkins has said since the game, teams that are destined to be promoted to the Premier League. Um, and it was a, it was, it was sort of a, a mixed game, I suppose. Um, looking at the lineup before the game, uh, I think I actually tweeted out, you know, is Adkins trying to get himself sacked because he dropped Bowen and Grzycki to the bench? Uh, Wilder at Sheffield United saying he was hugely surprised that we dropped our two most creative and attacking and dangerous players. Um, and which he was clearly quite happy about. But it, it almost worked in our favour. We almost came away with a point, and it was just a, a late penalty that really cost us in the end, and it was a pretty soft one at that. Um, I guess there's t- sort of two sides to the game from that sense, whether we, we're disappointed in two points, or sorry, a, a point dropped, I suppose, because we, we were holding on for a draw, or, um, or we look at it as, well, we really could have gone out and actually tried to attack and, um, and tried to win the game, but we, we just, you know, didn't even show any sort of um, ambition to do that. So were you disappointed with the result or were you sort of at least uh, happy that we, we almost snatched a draw? Um, yeah, I, I, could, I could go either way. I really could. Like, I was it, was... it was good to see... I mean, it was a terrible game to watch, I'm going to be honest. It was really boring to watch. It was so dull and, and defensive from our end, but in saying that, it was nice to see that we almost did keep a, a quality team. Like, that was would have been... I mean, it was three games in a row that we kept th- three top teams to minimal um, scoring. But And the penalty, as you mentioned, was not, uh, not the um, most clear-cut, but I think um, that was the second time in about five minutes that Elphick got done for grabbing a hold of a shirt, and I think that's what did it. Because he, he grabbed someone on the halfway line only five minutes before that and yeah, and pulled pulled him back really, really. I think that he got his, he got a yellow for that, but um, and I think that played a part in the decision to um, to give the penalty. But, yeah, it was it was, it was was surprising to see Bowen and, and Grzycki, um, Grzycki drop to the, to the bench. Um, what was, what was your take on that? Because obviously Bowen's scored, I think it's four goals in five games or something before that. Uh, and, and I mean, it, the science was sort of there because he was taken off against, uh, uh, was it Leeds, um, I think, where he was basically our only attacking player and got brought off and Adkins sort of seemed to have a different opinion to yeah. most people in saying, well, I didn't think he was you know doing that much. Um, so the science were kind of there that, that Adkins was a little bit off Bowen, but but to, to the rest of us, it seemed quite a strange one, and even to, to the opposition. And I think I said it uh, at the time uh, when Bowen was substituted uh, in the previous game, where the commentators were saying that the the home team commentators were saying that they were relieved that Bowen had gone off. Um, again, when you've got the opposition sort of being relieved that you've rested a player, I, I don't think that suggests it was a great decision. Yeah, no, I um, I don't necessarily think it was the right decision, but. Part of that's just my mindset. I always think we should be going out to win every game. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, you saw what happened. So after they scored that penalty, and then all of a sudden we had we had to chase the game. We had to bring on attacking players. The last twenty minutes, 
was not too bad. There was, you know, there we were creating some opportunities, but we only gave ourselves 15 minutes really like to work with. And it was, yeah, I, if I think it would have been a very different game, obviously, if those two had played, yeah, I think it would have been a better game to watch. I think we would have, um, I think it would have been a comparable scoreline. Um, I, Sheffield may still have beaten us, but I think it would have been comparable and it would have made, I think in general, everyone would have been happier with the result. Had you still gone out and played to actually win the game and lost, then played to not lose the game and lost. Well, I think, and I think that's it. And I think um, it's the huge difference between this season and last season where we were still drawing games, dropping points, losing games under Slutsky, but we were going out and attacking and, and we could see that there was a lot of um, potential there and a lot of attacking threat in the side, even after Hernandez was injured. So we still had Grzycki, we still had Irvine, we still had Bowen, all chipping in scoring goals last season, um, amongst others, uh, and obviously Wilson later in the season. Um, but the fact that we were actually going out and attacking sides, it boded quite well for when we had these sorts of games that we've got coming up against Preston, when we had these games at home and we could actually be confident that we were going to go out and score goals and we could actually win the game. Whereas now, yeah, okay, we've got positive results against top teams in the sense that we've restricted their scoring, um, got a draw against Borough, which was good. But the concern is, that yes, okay, we scored against Borough, but it was a penalty. Apart from that, we've really not shown much attacking impetus in any of those three games, except for, as you say, when we're chasing the game. Um, if we, we go out and play like that from the start, get a bit more confidence into the players, get a bit more potential, fluidity, um, practice in attack, getting the players used to each other. I mean, Chris Martin must just be feeling, you know, completely useless or, 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 you know, completely left out in the cold with the fact that he's just left up top to kind of try and work magic on his own. Um, that you think, well, when Preston come to the KCOM, how are we going to suddenly flick a switch and go out and score two or three goals and blow them away, which is what we really need to do? I mean... You can't just expect the players to to just flick a switch like that, um, and it's just I just don't know where the attacking potential is going to come from. Yeah, you're right. I think um, Adkins is he's maybe starting to get um, a bit too tricky. He's sort of changing. He's he's got a few tactical um, options up his sleeve, but he's starting just just relying on having that that formation switch or, or changing the play too much that there's no consistency in the way that we're playing between games. And, and you're right. Like with the, the particular forwards, like how are these, how are we supposed to gel these, this forward line together when like Chris Martin's arrived on like the deadline day as a loan and then on all these things, like how are they supposed to gel with these guys that we've now obviously Bowen and Grzycki have been, decided are going to be the main two attacking wingers how are they supposed to gel when they don't get to when they don't play together um and that's concerning um but yeah i think um we you're right and you're right on the fact that these games coming up against preston and the the game against reading which went against us and some of these other games coming up soon that we really do need to be putting we, we were talking before that like after 12 games, we've scored 10 and conceded 19, and they're not good numbers. Um, we really need to be putting, bumping up those 
the goals for, like, because I think we're just about equal lowest scorers in in the division at the moment. Which is, um, which is crazy when we were the, we, I think we were the top scorers for most well for a large yeah time we were for, first half we, of last season. We were for a long time last season. We were um, top scorers. And Bowen we were... was one of the top scorers in the division, which was crazy. Yeah, I think um, I was just thinking when you were talking before about um, with Adkins and, and, and we were talking about playing um, not to lose and that. And I think that to me seems like you sort of afford to do that more in the top division when you've only you can only fall. But when you're trying to climb, you really have to be trying to win. There's yeah. no, I don't really think there's any other option. When you tr- when you need to get up the table, you need to go up into the next division and back into that top tier. I don't think you can ever really afford to be playing conservatively. Not in our position, anyway. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's been an interesting one. I think uh, there's going to be a lot um, to come out of that Preston game coming up, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, I guess the last bit of positive news I wanted to touch on from the Sheffield United game was that uh, Irvine managed to play the game despite a bit of a worry over his Achilles um, during the week before it. Um, I think he'd suffered the injury against Leeds uh, in the previous game. Also managed to play for Australia during the international break where he got an assist for one of our four goals, which was also great to see. Um, It's a bit of a strange one at the moment with not a whole lot of players on international duty. We used to always have, you know, half a dozen or, or even, you know, more players going away for internationals, and I think it's only a couple now. Um, I think Grzycki played a bit for Poland as well um, and, and put in another good performance because he always seems to play pretty well for Poland, which is a bit of a funny one when you think the sort of standard of players that he's playing with, Lewandowski and others like that, um, to think that he's sort of playing for a bottom championship club and he's sort of lifts his game. He's one of those guys that sort of lifts his game to the occasion. I remember he was always quite good in Premier League games against, you know, Arsenal and, and Chelsea and guys like that, but would sort of go missing in, in some of the smaller games. Yeah, he do, he is he's the he's our he's our enigma at the moment. You just it's it's really is hard to to figure him out and when he's uh, we always say it, but when he's on, he's on. And but you know, it seems to be too often that he's not. But he, so far, since he's come come back in the fold here, he seems to um he seems to really have have sort of just bu- buckled down and 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 is just putting in a shift. So I'd um it's it's nice to see, and I hope he keeps. Um, obviously, with, with the more game time he gets, the better he's going to get. So um, I'm seeing positive signs from him, even for us. So. And, and just on Grzycki, what did you make of his comments, I think, to the local press during the break where he said basically he came back to the club after the World Cup and was told he was getting sold, so he just was told he wasn't playing, um, and that he actually reached out to the Polish coach to say, don't select me because I'm just not match fit because I've been playing, um, which sort of puts a different spin on the fact that everyone thought he was having a strop and, and sitting out and refusing to play, um, when actually it sounds like it was the club telling him not to play to stay fit. And and the comparison that I heard as well, which was interesting, was it was very reminiscent of uh, the January transfer window under Silva where Snodgrass didn't play for a couple of games and we were told he just wasn't training. And again, the perception was, well, it's Snodgrass having a strop because he wants to leave and forcing through a transfer and he, he did get it to West Ham. Um, but sounds like, again, that one might have as well have been Ehab basically saying, oh, don't play him, we don't want to get him injured if he's about to make a pretty lucrative move. Yeah, um, I suppose that's that's always the other side of the story that we I don't know why, whether we don't consider or I suppose it always it always seems to just it just comes out 
well after the piece. And um, I mean, it doesn't. It probably doesn't surprise me if you think about it and you think about sort of where the alums where they put their focus and especially like especially late like the last couple of years it's all about being trying to recoup their investment um wherever they can so if they if that's what they were thinking and they decided that i mean there are obviously like krasiski had said that he wanted to go so it's not like oh, sure, necessarily yeah. a one like a one one way thing but like obviously he said that and then they've said well we're and obviously the alums is well we can sell him um, so let's we'll do that, and then for whatever reason, it sort of didn't quite work out. Something about yeah, with the offer came in from Sporting, and he was told from his manager that it was a better offer or something. But yeah, and then I th- think they I accepted think they might have the terms or something. Yeah, yeah something something strange. So uh, all sorts of crazy thing. It just it just reeks of a little bit of greedy Ehab trying to be greedy, but. I mean, based on what he's done so far, as I said before, I'm probably happy that he stayed. Yeah, well, it's a good segue there and transition to, to talk about the other big news over the international break so far, which is the uh, potential takeover of the club. I mean, we sort of touched on it last episode um, as news was starting to filter through of a bid backed by um, a Saudi prince, supposedly, uh, led by Paul Duffin. Um, there's now been news of a, of a second uh, bid by a, t- a consortium called Sportico, I believe their name is, um, claiming to be backed by a bunch of UK-US investors and endorsed by the Supporters Trust, which is um, it, it, probably the most interesting thing out of it, to be honest, is is the fact that they've come out so publicly to um, to back one of the three takeover bids, because there are is a third one as well, which is supposedly a US-based consortium as well. And hearing, I've heard from a few places that that one is actually surprisingly in, in, in the best position to... Um, actually complete their takeover. So um, despite all the p- publicity and focus around the Paul Duffin-led bid, um, it's sort of all a bit of smoke, smoke and mirrors at the moment because um, I guess due diligence has been or is being completed by a few different parties. And, and then after that, it all kind of goes quiet because there's all just the negotiating around fees and purchase price and all that sort of thing. Um, I think, in a weird way, this sort of situation, it's actually no news is good news because if we heard anything, it would either be to say it's completed and it's done or that it's fallen over and collapsed. So as long as there's quiet, I think it means that negotiations are ongoing. Um, I had heard from a few places that there was a chance it was going to be finished over the international break, but um, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that's probably a bit optimistic. And, and as you touched on before, there's always the infamous greed of the alums in terms of trying to get the best possible price they can and, you know, as much money out of the buyer as they can, whether it's, you know, a percentage of future, you know, transfer fees or parachute payments or whatever it is. Um, I'm sure they'll do their best to, to, to give themselves the best deal. So, um, it's promising and it's exciting that there's there's three interested parties and it, it sounds like it's pretty far progressed. My fear is that, you know, the alums sort of play them off against each other and it ends up collapsing. But the other side of that coin is that if there's three parties interested as opposed to one, there's a good chance that at least one of them will complete the takeover and, and things can move forward in a positive manner. Um, but what's your, what's your take on the whole situation? I know we sort of touched on it last week and it's a bit difficult to, to add too much more to that. But um, if you've got any sense of, you know, which which party you'd prefer to take over the club or um, your your sense of how everything's sort of panning out in the news so far. 
Um, oh, look, I don't know if I necessarily have um, a you know a preference in terms of who takes over, but in terms of the Sportico bid, the one thing I did like about that, so they're endorsed by the Supporters Trust, and the Supporters Trust um, are going to be responsible for some percentage of the um, fee, the money. But what they were planning on doing with that bid was they were planning on there was there was going to be a member of the supporters trust was going to represent the trust on the board. Yeah, which I think I think that's a great. And I think that that just that general idea should just really just happen anyway. There should be someone from our supporters trust on the board. Or at least, maybe not even necessarily on the board, but they need to be in a position within the club where they have the opportunity to voice the concerns like straight to the source, any like concerns or ideas or whatever that the supporters trust is coming up with. They need to actually have be in a position, um, and the club needs to enable that them to have that position to to actually build that relationship and and start developing, um, you know. Develop, developing trust between cl- club and that and um but yeah you know well, what i'm trying yeah, to say it is great and my only hope is that it's not um that the supporters trust has sort of backed themselves into a corner in the sense that if for instance this third unknown um bid from the u.s were to succeed that they don't sort of view the supporters trust as oh well you supported um, basically our competitor and therefore there's any sort of mistrust or frustration between the parties. I hope that, you know, the manner in which... And look, I've got nothing but praise for the Supporters Trust. I've, I'm, I'm a lifetime member of the Supporters Trust and I encourage everyone to, to support the Supporters Trust because, as you're saying, they're basically our representation with the club. Um, obviously not um, great dialogue at the moment, but that's not down to any misdoing on, on their part. Um, I, I just hope that whichever party does succeed in taking over the club, that, that um, going forward there can be really positive relations with the supporters' trust. And, and as you say, it's a really good way to, to give the fans a voice and to have really positive dialogue with the club because we've said so many, so many times um, that what the Alums have done in a lot of ways just doesn't make any sense from a business perspective, from a football club's perspective, um, or, for, or from any perspective, really, other than to think that they're just doing things out of spite because there's so many easy wins that they could make where they could change things to make um, themselves more money um, and make the fans happier. You know, put put the name on the crest. Um, they've done a decent job of rebranding the club back to Hull City in, in all avenues, and I think that could have been done a lot sooner. But, you know, putting the name back on the crest, I think, would see a lot more people willing to buy club merchandise, for instance, and you just think, well, if it's going to buy, if it's going to bring in more money because you're going to get more merchandise sold, and it's going to make everyone happier, and it's going to mend some rifts, why would you not do it? And it's things like that where you just think there's this. The only answer is it's spite. Um, but there's so many easy wins. So you you would hope that whichever party buys the club, um, the supporters trust is able to give them any sort of help or uh, advice or anything that they're after. In, in the ways that they can best associate with and, and, and build a relationship with the fan base. Yeah, I think um, for any of the any of those um, the offers that come in, any of those um, consortiums or whatever, they're one of their first moves, or even the supporters trust needs. Maybe they need to make the first, be you know the first move as soon as that takeover is through, um, and and finalise that 
it needs to, you know, send the envoy, send the messenger. That, you know, you know, we're, you know, we're here. We want to like start off, get off on the right foot. Um, and I think as long as they do that, then I don't see that there, sh- there shouldn't really be any problems moving forward, regardless of I think their involvement in um, this uh, sporty co uh, um, bid. Definitely. Um, well, we'll move forward then and discuss the game coming up this weekend. We've already sort of alluded to it a little bit um, and the importance of it. But we're facing Preston. I think they're 22nd in the table um, at the moment. They were they were in last place last um, last game day, but our loss to uh, Sheffield United and their win over Wigan have seen them leapfrog us. But it's it was only their first win in their last five games with four losses being their other results. So they're in pretty... Dismal form, I would say, and they're definitely a side that are there for the taking if we go out on the right foot at home in front of a home crowd. Um, we really should be going out and beating them. Um, we, we talked about the fact that last season we'd see sides like Birmingham, Burton, um, basically all the B sides. I think there was another one as well that we beat three or four nil at home. Um, and you'd be expecting a side like Preston to, to be another pretty straightforward win. I mean, we beat Ipswich at home, so. Um, positive signs with a result like that against the side around us and you have to hope we can see more of the same against Preston um, so what's what's your take on the game coming up and what what changes would you see made to the side um, we have to win so I see a win that's I don't I'm not seeing anything else we have to win that's all there is to it Bowen and Grzycki come back in uh I don't really know if there's any other changes they'd make. Uh, I don't remember what the lineup was for the last game. It was so long ago. <laughs> um, I'll up now, but, but I think I think yeah, as you're saying, it's it's really Krzyzewski and Bowen are the ones who would you, you'd want to see come back into the side. Yeah, you, um, you're talking. Um, I think Evandro might be fit again, so yeah. I'd be I think off the bench late in um, through the middle midway through the second half or something, get him back in, and I'd be um, happy to see how he goes. He um, but I, I expect to see uh, if Batty's fit, Batty Henriksen, Irvine in the middle. Um, then you've got yeah uh, so Bowen last, and Grzycki yeah, and, and we probably were, we were three five two with Martin and Campbell up front with Kane and Kingsley as the uh, uh, the, the wing backs or the the wingers yeah. I guess depending on how you view that formation. And then, as you say, yeah, we had Irvine, Henriksen, and Batty in midfield. So, I, I guess, yeah, and look, it is hard to see how you slot slot Grzycki and uh, Bowen back into that side, whether it's you play Bowen up top instead of Campbell, perhaps, uh, or you, you change the formation around a little bit, because Kane, Kane is um, in pretty impressive form at the moment, and... The only other thing I could see is switching formation, but but as you said, I mean, Adkins is getting a little bit too tricky, I think, and, and shifting things around a bit too much. Um, looks like we, we had Lehigh as one of the three centre-backs in that game. Oh, uh, yeah, United. we did. Um, whether you, I, I don't know, whether you, you shift uh, Lehigh up to, to the, the right wing position that Kane's in, switch Kane to where Kingsley is, and then drop Kingsley... Um, and play um, another midfielder perhaps and switch to a 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1, something like that. Um, it's, it's a tough one because it's 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 tough to sort of see how you fit Bowen and Grzycki back in, whether you play a 4-3-3 perhaps and play them on the wings either side of Martin. Um, I don't know how how aggressive we'd, we'd want to go against Preston, but, um, you know, as you're saying, you kind of run the risk if you change things around too much that the players just can't really settle into it anyway. 
Yeah, I think we just need to. I think we just Adkins needs to figure out um, whether. I mean, he's had two weeks now. Hopefully, he's gone back and watched every game this year, um, all twelve of them, and gone. You know, of the what four formations or whatever that I've tried. You know, which which worked best. You know, which players are working best in in which position. Um, I think that's what he should have been really they should have really been doing for themselves over the last um couple of the last couple of weeks with this with this international break is reviewing all that and trying to figure out what is working best for us. I don't really I don't buy into the um so much into the adjusting or the way you play to suit the opposition. I think if you cuz if you control the ball, who cares what the how the opposition yeah. lines up? Um so I think we just need to focus really on on building our own squad, building our own team and our own formation, building the way we play, and just focusing on that and not worrying about you know going oh well they they're really dangerous smooth going forward so we're going to spring all these and play really defensively because at the end of the day it hasn't worked anyway so we may as well just find the way where we can best utilize our players going forward and um, then hopefully get some results and start going up the table. Uh, so then what's your score prediction for this one then? 3-1 to City. I'm going wild. Absolutely. I, well, I think I, I could see I think probably a 2-0 sort of win for City. I think it'll be one of those regulation games, hopefully. Um, but you never know. I think if we lose this game, it then becomes very um, interesting to see how the side responds because... Once you start getting adrift at the bottom of the table, um, you start to worry a little bit about the mentality of the players um, and whether we start to go the way of a team like Sunderland of just sort of dropping our heads and just basically collapsing down into the next division. So this is it's not a it's not a must-win game in the sense that if we don't win it, we're getting relegated. But it is a must-win from the point of view that if we want to start moving up the table, as you say, and you know sort of recover a bit of a winning mentality and a bit of a confidence for the team. Um, I think we need to be winning this one. Uh, so I guess we'll see how we go. But thank you so much for joining me, Dan. No problems. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, we'll be back this time next week. And until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're amber.